Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Episode 67, Medical Astrology with Judith Hill. Judith is an herbalist, an educator, an author, and a legend in the field of medical astrology. I've personally been very excited for this episode because I've been diving deep into Judith's work and been kind of obsessed with it. Um, It's just kind of mind-blowing after studying some other forms of astrology, seeing how it actually can work on the human body and with herbalism and how it all fits together. In this episode, we speak with Judith about what medical astrology is and how it can be helpful to an herbalist or healthcare worker. Uh, from just finding out if you're a good match for a patient or if you're a patient and you're a good match for a doctor or a surgeon or an herbalist or an acupuncturist because that you can actually find that out with a, with birth charts and comparing them to actually finding out the seat of potential problems and whether or not those are physical or not so physical and even effective remediations, whether those are herbal or, or something else. And... In the second part of the episode, which is available for patrons, we get into in depth about how you can find out those not so physical <laughs> problems. So, like, what in what part of the chart look for uh, possessions or hexes, and how you can remediate those. Uh, part two is really interesting too. So, if you want to hear that, get on to Patreon.com/slash/PlantCunning. But in this episode, we also go into her research which proves the efficacy of astrology. She is able to show that uh, redheads are more likely to have Mars on their ascendant or another uh, prominent part in their chart. And she also showed how you can kind of predict earthquakes using astrology. So she's done some heavy lifting and it's been an honor to speak with her. So uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you want to support this podcast and get access to extra content like part two of this episode, where we not only talk about you know how to tell if you're getting hexed through astrology, but also vital force and how you can remediate and look into problems with fertility, then hop on over to patreon.com slash plant cunning. Okay, so today we have Judith Hill on the podcast. And Judith is an herbalist, an astrologer, specifically a medical astrologer, author, teacher, researcher, uh, so many hats, and you've done such amazing work in your life so far. Uh, I've been really excited to dip into these books. So how are you today? I'm very well, and, and I'm, I'm very thrilled to be here at the Plant Cunning Podcast. Yes. I, yes. Love, I always wanted to run away with the herbalists, not the circus. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. So we usually have a first question that goes like, what brought you to the plant path? But uh, what brought you to the plant and planet path? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've always loved both since I was quite small. But when I was growing up uh, there, I didn't even know there was something called professional herbalism. So I was finding these little books on, you know, edible plants that I could find in my area when I was 10 and foraging around. And every now and then I'd find somebody who knew something about herbs and go take a few lessons. There wasn't very many. And then I, I got, I, the Lasha Karnak 
um, herbal store opened in Berkeley. And I went and applied for a job uh, and I got the job, but the pay was so little. And at the time I was being an astrologer and it was just a no brainer to continue doing charts instead. And so I decided I would study herbalism uh, on my own for years. And I have, and I just, I, I love making astrology useful and practical. And I've always been crazy about natural health. I, I read uh, Back to Eden when I was about 11 and it rocked my world. And then I read Jarvis and, and then I discovered, oh, there's this thing called medical astrology and also vocational astrology. I'm a really very skilled vocational astrologer. I have a book on that too. So I, I was, and then there was electional there where you choose times. Oh, you could do surgery dates. So I really started thinking, oh, this could be made very practical. So when I was about, I went full time. Um, I was, I did my first professional reading uh, quite young. Uh, and I, I, my father gave me a four year apprenticeship uh, starting age 10. In so your father was, your father was an astrologer too. Yes. He was actually a printer, but he, uh, he was an am very good amateur astrologer. And he, he set me on his knee when I was three and he started showing me charts. And then at the age of 10, he had these psychic inspirations. He, uh, began a very uh, dedicated course. And it was practically all I studied those years I, in school. I just was ignoring school, studying my charts. And at 14, I did my first paid reading. And then at 17, I started doing it for a living because I was on my own at 17. And uh, then I, by 21, I was full-time. And I've been a full-time consultant ever since until I opened the academy this year. And I sort of, that's all I'm doing is teaching now. All of a sudden, there's almost no time for the readings. But um, so I've many, many decades in full-time chart reading and studying the practical branches. And you need the spiritual branches to understand them too. And then I discovered there were all these old systems. Uh, the Renaissance astrologers uh, were, the Renaissance physicians were all, extremely skilled herbalists and extremely skilled astrologers. And that Europe had this amazing triune, uh, you know, indigenous medical system, which was astrology, herbalism, and patient examination. You know, the urine, the pallor, the tongue, the pulse, the voice, and Blagrave and um, William Lilly and John D. John D. was a physician. People don't know that. John D. and Nostradamus and Nicholas Culpepper were all astrological herbalists who used this. This was the medical system that they were teaching in the universities all the way till 1666. And I discovered it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is, I can do this. It's, I can study this and teach this. And, and it's been my passion now. Yeah, that's amazing. I feel like so many people uh, growing up in the United States, when they hear about astrology, it's like psychological astrology or, you know, just your sun sign. Just the horoscopes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's so much more practical meat to it. <laughs> and that's getting a resurgence lately, I think, too. So, yes. And in fact, the uh, astrology is one of the earliest uh, forebears of our modern psychology. And in fact, I'm giving a course right now astrology of mental health, where we look at this, you can find back in Ptolemy, 
140 AD. He's writing about the qualities of the mind and different uh, problems the mind can get into. Very detailed uh, system of psychology of their own. And of course, the four elements, which Jung borrowed. He just lifted them up and called them the four personality types. (laughs) (laughs) Right. His whole seminal book on it, I think it's called Psychological Types, that and never said he got it from astrology. Mm. It's exact. Even introversion, extroversion, which was supposed to be his big invention, is the the masculine versus the feminine signs, how they work. Mm. And I know people don't like those words anymore, but we don't have new words yet. They're useful. Yeah. They're useful. Yeah. So you mentioned the academy. What is the academy? Well, in June this year, we kind of started up in March. Uh, we, we started the, myself and uh, some youthful help, started the Academy for Astrological Medicine. Not the Academy of, the Academy for Astrological Medicine. And where we teach all six branches of medical astrology. We also teach vocational astrology. And we have a big spiritual, karmic, uh, lunar nodes, uh, mental and mental psychological branch also, because it's all included. And so we have all branches we're putting in. Uh, We have a lot going on, discussion groups. We have a monthly mystery chart, a Mm -hmm. monthly uh, medical astrology forecast, where we Mm -hmm. go into the most important aspects and how they may impact the physical body, what herbs might be useful to offset if you have symptoms with the doctors. Okay, we always have to say that. Mm -hmm. um, We also have uh, many, many courses and classes and a subscription service now with, it's growing every day, but right now over a hundred hours of material. Wow. Lots and lots of slideshows and audios. And um, really, we're gonna be bringing in some teachers uh, pretty soon here too, besides me. That's amazing. So I'm curious, you're in the stage now where you're a teacher and author. Who are some of your mentors and influences as you were an up and coming astrologer? You mentioned your father. Oh, yes, my father. And of course, uh, I have to think back. Um, Ivy Goldstein Jacobson. Oh, yeah. Very, very influential with the electional astrology. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, um, Oh, Nicholas Culpepper, William Lilly, uh, Matthew Wood is probably my prime herbal teacher, though I love Phyllis Light and Lise Wolf very, very much. They're favorites of mine. I really, really love the work of um, Beautiful Little Dancing Crow mm-hmm. and uh, Deborah Francis. She's an RN. She's one of the best lecturers I've ever heard um, as far as herbalists. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, oh, Edgar Casey. Oh. He has a wonderful book on uh, his astrological readings and, of course, all his natural health readings, which always used herbalism. And I think he influenced me more than anybody because I started reading him when I was about 11. And I remember quotes. I remember, I remember specific herbs that he would give for specific. <laughs> and they work. They absolutely work. And I, 
they've saved me so many times, the Edgar Casey remedies. So he's been a very, very big influence. Oh, I could go on. Yeah, that's that's great, though. I, I had always thought of Casey as more of an intuitive um, and maybe he, he, that's what he is. But I didn't realize he had such uh, knowledge about astrology and herbalism. Oh, he was uh, his main work was medical. He's people don't know enough about him. He was giving medical readings. They killed him. He worked so hard and the doctor said stop and he wouldn't. And he died of exhaustion, basically, at about 60. He gave hundreds of medical readings. There's a wonderful book now where you can get the readings. You used to have to join his society. And it's called the Edgar Casey Encyclopedia by Reba and Carp, I believe it is, Carp, C-A-R-P or K-A-R-P. Mm. And she has, it, she doesn't have a table of contents, which is ridiculous. They must get out really fast. But it has the diseases and you can look at his readings, which always include herbs. Mm. And he also gave astrological intuitive readings, a lot of past life readings. He did archeological readings. Um, he did everything, but he was actually most famous for his medical. Wow. That's really, really cool. We have to study up on him a little bit more. When Edward Bach has influenced me very, very much. I read his bio and his work. And then another big influence was George Washington Carver. Ah, yeah. Book, tiny little book for like five bucks called The Man Who Talked to the Flowers. And George Washington Carver was really a spiritual master. People don't know this until you read this book. And that book rocked my world. And the other thing that rocked my world, I saw the movie and I've seen it three times and I purchased it for everybody I know. And it's called Juliet of the Herbs. Yeah. He knows it. Yeah, I've seen it. Yes. Very great soul. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, is a very very great soul who brought us herbal medicine and natural diets for dogs and cats yes roamed with the gypsies collecting and all their info and she's the sweetest sweetest soul mm -hmm. i that, that movie is remarkable mm -hmm. in on her wavelength something's very right with you <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I immediately got her book too for um on like veterinary care basically and herbs for dogs and cats so yeah she's so inspiring and just so amazing yeah so uh judith before we get into the meat of uh, medical astrology uh one of the things that i realized uh when studying up on you for this uh, episode was that you have been pivotal in doing some actual like empirical getting empirical evidence for how astrology works or that that astrology works. And uh, we have a wide variety of listeners. Most of them are fine jumping into the woo water, but we also do like, um, you know, to have some empirical evidence to back up what we say. It feels know. good. Yeah, it feels good. So do you think you could briefly get into some of the studies that you uh, made happen? Well, during the time I was the educational director for the San Francisco chapter of the National Council for Geocosmic Research. Uh, and I just did that for about one or two years. But for 10 years, uh, I invested time, money in thanklessly 
and constantly under attack for, into the uh, statistical research of astrology with two main companions in different studies. I, I did the, uh, we did the, I orchestrated the Redheads Research Project, an international project to discover if Mars was indeed stronger in naturally redheaded people, which was the tradition. And you can't, the debunkers couldn't come along and say, oh, your effect is psychological. It's not, it's like left-handedness. And so we had to gather hundreds and hundreds of charts and replicate and replicate. So I did that with uh, Jacqueline Thompson, who had the computer. And these were the great big computers and you had to wear lead shields and everything. And um, then I went on with it. Uh, she dropped out and I went on with the project. Um, and then the most, my favorite project, I did a few others, but was the astro seismic research uh, with Mark Pollitt, who's still a dear friend. And we uh, did all great world earthquakes segregated by 200 miles away from each other. They had to be magnitude eight. This was our first study. And we had, we developed a criteria and we would do a count. And then we would, we had a, a secret man helping us at the US Geological Survey and he would scramble all the data. And time and time again, we had remarkable statistical significance. So then we replicated that study. We did uh, all, we just started doing uh, earthquakes that were like in the six range, segregated by region all over the world. And we replicated the study perfectly. And this was a huge, huge effort. And you can read the whole, I have it up on, if you're a member of the Academy, you can get the uh, ebook for free. Otherwise it's available only through Stellium Press at my website. It, it was never, I never got it into a, for Amazon. It has tons of photographs and what you will see, I wish I had it here, I would show you. Um, you get a, you know, three great earthquakes in Kamchatka and two, and, you know, that are historically recorded. And all the charts look nearly identical. So we did our first prediction. We, we sent it, I wrote it up, sent it into Dell Horoscope in an article. Then we called it into the earthquake. Uh, there was an earthquake hotline. We said, we're going to predict on this particular earthquake fault. We drew, we gave them a map, a magnitude eight or above in this six month window in California. And I was so sure it was going to happen, I moved out and it did. It was the Loma Linda quake. That was our first try, Loma Linda quake, because we had access to the past, a whole lot of past great, great earthquakes in the San Francisco Bay Area region. And a whole set, everything was coming back to look like that signature. So what we discovered is earthquakes are, Places are like people. Places have their own uh, astrological configurations they seem to respond to. And it's not like it will always bring an earthquake, but when an earthquake happens there, there's the configuration. Uh, recently, I looked at the, the, the earthquakes of Honshu and same thing, it, it was just like four of them are practically on the same day. Um, so we know that this is useful and there were other studies uh, at the time being done, astrological studies on earthquakes using moon position that were proving very fruitful. It's just one piece of the puzzle. But what this was, it was the, as far as I'm concerned, it, it's the second, there's two studies that dramatically show 
visual evidence of astrology. This was one of them. You can look at these charts. Oh my goodness, charts for 12 earthquakes in the San Francisco Bay Area do not look anything like 12 randomly chosen dates where the planets will be evenly scrambled. They'll be like, but, but, Saturn, that, that everything's glommed in certain areas. And so you can see it. Some charts almost replicate each other. And the other visual data, which is perhaps even more dramatic, was that found by uh, Frau Lily Kalisko. And I think she was 1920s to 1950s, not sure. She got tipped off from Rudolf Steiner, who suggested that cell salt would respond to planetary motions. So she was a chemist. And so she would, each planet has its traditional metal. So mm -hmm. Mars is iron, Venus is copper, Jupiter is tin. Saturn is lit, the sun is gold, the moon is silver, Mercury is mercury, like that. So she would wait till the moon would conjoin the planet in the sky called a conjunction. And she would take filter paper and dip it in their metal, like uh, iron phosphate for, for Mars. She would dip the filter paper and with always, always, always within 10 minutes following the conjunction, the cell salts would go wild all over the paper, <laughs> photograph it. So Nick Kohlerstrom, he replicated this. They did it all over again and they filmed it. Now there's a book, I consider it the most important book of proofs for astrology outside of, of course, my little book, Astro Seismology. And um, we also have a book called The Cosmic Clocks of the research of the two, uh, Francoise and Michel Gauquin. There's a lot of research out there, but uh, the book by Nick Kohlerstrom is called The Metal-Planet Relationship. It has all the photographs in it. We, are, we have metals all through our bodies, as we know, and minerals, and so does the earth, and we think it's a mineral effect. There's mineral patterns that are quite different in each area that are responding to these different patterns. So we can no longer walk around blithely opining that there's no proof of astrology. Nobody's ever proved astrology. Astrology's been proven over and over and over again, not necessarily the natal charts. There hasn't been enough. I've designed lots of projects that would prove, I believe, natal astrology to be valid, but it would take some money, time, and real setup to prove them. And they're not hard. They're not hard. I, I figured some, I found some vocational ideas and some medical ideas I think would work, but you can't just have astrologers taking these exams. You have to have an astrologer that has 20 years experience in that field of astrology. And this is where astrology uh, tests often so fail. Just anybody claims they're an astrologer takes this test. You need to really have a lot of experience to be able to pick out in a chart who has a heart disease and who doesn't, or who would make a great judge and who wouldn't, or who might be an athlete, who might be uh, or, you know, uh, someone who likes to sit home and read and is scared of sports. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Isaac raised his hands. Yeah, I'd rather read. I'd rather read. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. So um, I guess we should start with, I want to get into medical astrology, but it's always nice to kind of define terms. So what is medical astrology and what do you use it for? It's a great question. So medical astrology is the study of how the cosmic rays of the planets and the signs influence the human body. It works quite well with animals too, (laughs) mammals at least, but influence the human body and the human mind, which influences our health. And the timing of disease onset, the timing of mental issues. So we have have your natal pattern, what you're born with, your imprint. I call it the permanent planetary imprint. We're a little fractal of the moment we're born and it just goes on resonating. And then we have our current, you know, your transits and progressions, what, how things are influencing you right now. So how can this be useful? And how was it used? Well, it's used in so many ways that we have a good seven, six, seven different branches of medical astrology. And I outline these with a little map and slide on my welcome to the academy. It's free, a free welcome up there, a free little podcast but you can use it for defining what natural weaknesses and strengths a person has from birth and the strength and quality of their vital force. You know, if that infant is going to have, you know, bowel problems or be very weak, very strong, um, you can use it to uh, pinpoint the seat of chronicity, what's behind the energetics behind a health problem to preempt health problems by going for uh, the seat of chronicity. You can go for the seat of inflammation, Mars. Uh, Now you can also uh, use it for fertility. I used to help many, many women get pregnant. I have a a joke I've said many times, which I'm now the proud father of many. Helping many women get pregnant. So lots of astro babies out there, women who are infertile would get pregnant usually within you know three months of finding them good dates or finding out if it was, they're just not compatible with the male they're using. You know? So uh, let's see, there is wonderful uses in timing. So timing surgeries, I've done a lot of surgery dates for people, I've been training a few people to do this because I'm, I'm too busy now. Uh, surgery dates, onset of protocol, and uh, very good, easy methods you can learn, which I have in some of my books for herbalists. Da, 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 da. Herbalists to harvest, herbalists to tincture, to decoct, or to start treatment. And these go all the way back to ancient times. Blagrave writes about it in his medical diaries. You know, if you want, if you want your, uh, you have a hot, dry person, and you need to make them a cooling, moistening uh, tincture. Say you want to make marshmallow or cucumber water or something. You know, you or you need to moisten them. You wait till the moon's in a water sign, and even better wait till the moon is conjunct Venus or in a water sign, you know, it makes it even moister or Neptune or Jupiter, there's different uses. And I have some very good uh, descriptions of this. You know, this works. I was once 
in a chateau in the woods with a person who was triple water signs. And it was a night when the sun was in a water sign and the moon was in a water sign. Try as we had perfectly dry wood. We could not light it. It would not light. We tried again and again and again. It refused to light. It was very, very funny. I said, well, it's just, it's your triple water. It's, and it says double water night. It's resistant. You just kick them out and start it yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Not only that, Blagrave would take the, uh, if you wanted someone to get much moisture, he would not only do this all in water science, he then would take the mark and hurl it into water. Oh, all these tricks that you might call magical, but magic is just working with the vibrations. Mm-hmm. Just we're all afraid of this word and it can be terribly misused or it can be associated with you know, all kinds of bizarre practices, but occult just means hidden. Mm-hmm. And there's the knowledge of how to work vibrations and then they influence things in remarkable ways, sometimes at quite a distance. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think there's, there's so many aspects we can get into of medical it astrology. Sounds like, yeah, medical astrology is just useful for every aspect of herbalism and, you know, it's everything, every aspect of medicine. You even, medicine. Even, I've got a little book. I just wanted to show it because if you're all beginners, this is my most beginner book for lay people, uh, medical astrology for health practitioners. And it just helps a person with almost with just very little astrology, just get right into it and the best things that will work for you. And, but it has a section on how to see if you're compatible with your healer. Yes. That was actually something I wanted to ask you about. Cause, um, I think that's really interesting. So can you talk a little bit about how you as a medical astrologer would figure that out it, and as an herbalist, if you are a good fit for your client? Yeah, I mean, have, have you all experienced, If you probably have a lot of practicing herbalists or practicing patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, both. <laughs> all experienced that, that lovely person, that lovely healer, who no matter what you do, they cannot seem to help you. Nothing ever gets any better. Yeah. Then you just, you know, they go out of the room and their assistant, they said, my assistant's going to help you today. And the assistant comes in and cures you. This is <laughs> Or you have the client that's just an endless headache you know, just an endless pain in the ass. And you, you know, you don't even don't like them or they're always causing trouble or whatever you do, they complain about. And so you can get around a lot of this by comparing your charts, just like a couple, because just like uh, William Gray, the great healer, William Gray discovered people who have compatible sun signs have a mating fuel, he called it, can almost instantly heal you. And I tested his theory because I'm given to weird complaints. And three times in my life, I've been miraculously healed by somebody laying on hands. And I went back because I wanted to test Williams Gray's theory that someone whose son is exactly trying your son has the proper mating fuel that connects with your vital force and can heal you very easily. And, And I went back and all three of them their son was trining my son within two days. I thought, well, boy, this, this is a great corroboration of William Gray for me. You know, I loved it. Wow. So, yeah, so there's things you look at, you know, for you astrologer, astrologers out there. One of the best is, are your sons trying by decanate or even the sign? 
Mm-hmm. Are you all both water signs, both earth signs? If your sons are quincux, 150 or 270 degrees away from each other, there's no connection. That I think would be the most difficult. You won't understand each other very well. Some people get married to someone who's quincux, their son, and they, their deep real, real self is never quite connecting. It's funny. Um, if somebody is born um, on your Saturn or, or vice versa, that's not considered very good usually. Okay. Jupiter and Venus are quite helpful, you know, conjunctions. If somebody's born on your south node, it usually is a no-go, uh, but it can be a karmic situation where one has to heal the other for 10 um, Yeah. The, um, it's not always bad if it has a good aspect. The north node, usually they're going to be able to bring you, if a, if a, surge, if a person has Mars or the sun on, or Jupiter on your north node, they'll bring you energy. They'll give you energy. Mm. You notice how, how chiropractors and osteo, people who work all day with the body, they often have a lot of flesh on their palms and big warm hands. Mm-hmm. Because they have a surplus of vital force. People mm. should do this work who do not have, who have low vital force. They get drained or they'll die young. Um, so you can, now if someone has Mars or Mercury on your south node, they will make mistakes, give you misdiagnosis, Active oh. transit Mercury or Mars, transit Mercury is crossing your south node. Uh, I wouldn't uh, accept a diagnosis. I'd get a second opinion. If transit Mercury is, it's not usually a good day to start medicine. Um, oh, I have a protocol on my website. I believe it's at the Academy and the freebies uh, protocol for inoculation. Uh, you have to put you know, vaccination, inoculation in the search, see if you can find it. I know the team put it up there. It's a whole protocol. Uh, might be on my blog. But um, if you have Mars, this was my big one. I have a, in this book, if you guys are trying to study surgeries, uh, this book has a whole beautiful section on how to do safe surgeries and uh, medical astrology, a guide to planetary pathology. It's a little more advanced. It's good if you know just basic astrology to do this one. But it gives all the, you know, really important things you look at. And the most I feel is if Mars is crossing your natal south node at the time of the surgery. Very, very, very risky means undoing through the knife. Or if a surgeon is born with their Mars on your south node, you know, I can't tell you to get another surgeon, but I would (laughs) get another surgeon. Get out of there. Um, you really want, you know, I, I pick surgeons for people. So people will give me five surgeons and I'll check. I, I can't get the whole chart. I can just get the birth date, but that's enough. And I'll, if one's dangerous, we'll rule it out. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's, it can be kind of hard maybe to get surgeons birth dates, but that's such yeah. an important, you know, if you're doing a real surgery, you don't want them to screw up and, you know, manage to get them or they can look them up. So they used to have them on the, uh, you know, where you look up the surgeon's uh, graduation record or they uh-huh. usually give the birthday. It's been getting harder, but I find people, if they, they call up and they ask the office and they say, you know, I believe in astrology and I need your surgeon's birthday, please. Um, most of them get it. Same with real estate agents. <laughs> 
when I do real estate astrology, it's good to have to pick a good realtor. Hmm. Hmm. Not, yeah, one not one who you don't want a surgeon or a realtor who's your secret enemy. Right. And so, how do you tell your secret enemy? Is that that's twelfth? Uh, no. A lot of things. It's not necessarily the twelfth because some people have great twelfth houses. Uh, it's a lot of things that you look at. That's a big question. Uh, but you certainly don't want Mars or Mercury on your, their Mars or Mercury on yourself. Right. So um, I think a lot of, a lot of people know about Mars and Saturn, maybe. Um, if, if you know about astrology, you know about Mars and Saturn. Those are the malefics. Jupiter and Venus are the benefics. Sun and Moon are the lights. Um, the nodes, though, are a little less well known, um, even though they they're very important. And they, you know, in, if you look at Indian astrology, it's huge part of it. Renaissance astrology, it's a huge part of it. So, do you think you can get get a little bit into the the North and South node? Yes, um, it's a puzzle why they have become so obscure. Most charts don't even show the all important South node anymore. It's always exactly opposite the North node. The nodes were considered more important than the planets because they have the ability to swallow up all the planets. They are where the eclipses take place. So the, the nodes are always carrying the charge of a south node eclipse or a north node eclipse. And I have written, uh, actually, um, it's, I don't mean to be such a book salesman, but there's no more any place there's no more hard copy ads. There's no other place to tell people about your books and podcasts now. And people should know about these because I have an incredibly thorough book on the lunar nodes. Lunar nodes, your key to excellent chart interpretation. So where the lunar nodes are, the north node is where energy, cosmic energies, the solely, solely lunar energies enter like a current. They enter there so you can get good stuff, energy strength, or you can get impactions, swellings, you know, strokes. Um, the south node is the tail. So the cosmic energies go out. It's like a, there's, there's currents and waves all through the universe, just like on earth, just like the ocean. It's the way energy is going out there. So it's a big excretion point. Uh, you can get rid of toxins, weight, but it's often weakening it can be very dangerous, cause all kinds of problems. It can mean a karmic debt payment from past lives. So often a planet on it is in some way impaired or weakened, though there are three ways it can be corrected. And it often indicates a great talent from past lives too. Sometimes it's a place of a past life memory or fear. For those who believe in past lives, I realize some of you out there don't, and that's just fine with me. I, I believe each his own, it's a, it's a demo, democracy of opinions. But lunar nodes have always been uh, very linked to past life theory in the Hindu. Now, the beginning of this book has a 60 page um, lecture that was translated that I gave years ago on nodes east and nodes west. And nodes east and nodes west, they have the same functions but they are valued differently. So in the West, we love the North Node and we're afraid of the South. In the East, they don't like the North Node and they think the South Node is wonderful. Well, how could this be? Because in the East, they feel that self-aggrandizement, 
attaches you to the earth plane. And that's what the North Node does. It's greedy. It gives you things you like and gives you, brings connections and good things. And, and the South Node, they call the Moksha Karaka, the indicator of enlightenment. And this is a good point because it brings all the sorrows and griefs and losses, but it teaches you not to be attached to passing forms or bodies or things. Mm -hmm. so things go you know things come in at the head the mouth things go out at the tail where would we be if we did not defecate so but you know, we lose things planets are usually on that south so so therefore it got a the west gives a positive meaning to the north node and negative to the south and the east it reverses but the function is identical so i wrote wrote all about this and and then nodes uh in the signs the houses, transits to the nodes, transits from the nodes. Transiting nodes are very important in your chart. They bring an incoming or outgoing wave. Um, I wrote a book uh, on the eclipses on their north or south nodes. Nobody's ever brought this out in the history of astrology. It's very weird. An eclipse on the south node, completely different than on the north node. That's a solar eclipse that begins the cycle. We have a calendar the only calendar I've ever seen that lists the north and south node polarity of each of the eclipses. And you can access that, I believe on my website, could be at the Academy. I have a personal website, judithellastrology.com. But I never know where they, the, the team is putting these things, but you have an, a calendar where you can get the nodal um, polarities, which for some reason, are obvious as pi, but nobody's ever written about them. There's a big difference if you have a south node eclipse on your Venus, you know, something Venus is going to go out. If you have a north node event on your Venus, something related to Venus is going to come in. Now, that's a very significant difference. Never been written about before. Now, um, the nodes have been extensively written about in the east and um uh, I've done a lot of writing on their medical interpretations, which is somewhat unique, distinct medical uh, related to transits to and from the nodes and their medical, um, their medical perspectives. And uh, if you want extreme detail, extreme detail, just on medical notes, just on medical notes, then this book, Medical Astrology in Action, the chapters on the nodes go into every single transit nodal conjunction and every single conjunction to the nodes and what they mean medically only. And so it's very, very specific for you, you uh, people who really are in seriously nerdly about this, <laughs> like I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get nerdly about it. I've got, you know, got this one and uh, this one. Hey, this is. E. Yeah. The, and then a couple more, <laughs> but they're so, uh, so amazing. So I'm, I'm glad that you're sharing them. I'm, um, you know, so letting people see them. I've been, I've personally been getting a little obsessed, uh, with, with this. Uh, so I, I'm really, really happy to be talking with you first of all, but really happy you wrote these books too, because it doesn't seem like anyone else is doing it like this. And there are some good ones. I'm always into pushing other people's books too. Uh, if you want, you know, the best book out there for homeopathic and midpoints, it does include eight hypothetical planets, but it's very, very thorough, is uh, Eileen Nauman's book on medical astrology. 
and it has just all kinds of things in there. My goodness. Um, that one is very good. And I love Matthew Wood's repertory. repertory. I have that on my desk at all times. And with the, if you're being a medical astrologer and an herbalist, uh, Matthew Wood's repertory with some of my books that give real detail. And then you have your symptoms. Of course, you have to have symptoms, not just out of your head. Um, this is a great combination for the licensed herbalist. You get, you, you can, because he itemizes every single, um, he has every single bodily system, you know, the brain, the heart, circulation, and then gives herbs by, by what they do for that system in categories. Like, do you have a, a slow heart, a fast heart, do you have an aneurysm? Incredible, just choices. And then the aspects, and I've tons of, oh, I have uh, herbal sections after every single conjunction. I didn't, couldn't do squares and all that, but they work very similarly. So medical astrology in action for uh, herbal tips on all these major aspects and over 82 fun field notes of real experiences, which you will have too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just getting into, I mean, I'm still a neophyte in astrology, but um, starting to study the, the, the transits a little more. Like I've gotten ephemeris, I'm like looking every day to see what's going on now. The, the other day before I started really doing this, I was going to go uh, cut some trees down with a chainsaw, but I was in a really bad mood. I looked at the ephemeris and my Mars is transiting right over my, my, my ascendant. And then it's going to go apply to my Uranus. Uh, so that would the Uranus, you know, that, that could potentially be an accident there <laughs> with a sharp thing and blood with, which is Mars. And then Uranus is an unexpected accident. So I was like, I'll wait, I'll wait to do that. <laughs> yeah. Electrical equipment is, you know, this can work out in very funny ways. I had a strange incident yesterday, Mars rolls iron and a friend of mine has North node in Capricorn, exactly where Mars transited yesterday, exactly in her house of work. And she has her natal Mars there too. So she calls up, she doesn't know anything about her chart. She says, you know, you know, she works in um, clearing old, old junk out of apartments. She says, I came across these huge metal railroad ties, pure iron. Somebody had just left and I, we got them into the back of my truck. We had no idea that this was, uh, you know, illegal. And then we had to go bring them back and call the government and everything. But she says, what is this? You know, she's like, each one weighed like a hundred pounds of pure iron. Well, iron was entering at the mouth, entering at the mouth, quite literally in her house of work. It couldn't have been more literal. And there it was. And you get these, you just see these things every single day. That is so cool. I love that example. Wow. It's like, yeah, so literal. Yeah. I, sure. Yeah. That's why I didn't want to have a literal accident with a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. That's why. Accidents in Uranus is electricity. So you, you don't want to be mixing the two. It's like, you know, it's like mixing, you know, those old, they always say, do not use while operating heavy equipment. So do not, do not operate heavy equipment under Mars. Uranus conjunctions, mm -hmm. the ascendant, you would have been definitely, uh, you know, begging for something. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm glad you didn't do that. Yeah. Okay. Make, makes you, you know, you gotta, you gotta look at the, look at the transits, but that's, I mean, that's also why it's so important to look for, um, 
transits in regards to surgery, you know, like if you're doing something like that, you don't want to have accidents. Um, yeah, there seem to be so many things. <laughs> so I had a question. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the North nodes and South nodes, not really being that well known to people who are kind of getting into astrology, herbalism and astrology and, you know, Western medicine did go hand in hand, um, up until a certain point, And now it's just fallen out of common use. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to the history of medical astrology becoming its own thing outside of just, you know, natural medicine or common medicine. That's a very good historical question. Yes, they were completely combined mm -hmm. in, from ancient times to about 1666, though it held on with some practitioners to about 1700. And what happened was in 1666, medical astrology chairs were thrown out of all the universities. Until that date, physicians had to study it, medical astrology, and they had to get past their exams in it to get their physician's license. So this was uh, partly due to the discovery that the sun was not, that the earth was not necessarily the center of the universe and that uh, the Harvey's discovery of the circulation of the blood came in and they discovered, started discovering that some of these ancient things that came down from Galen's time Hippocrates actually weren't true. So there, the, the doctors then it became started, people started attacking and making fun of astrology because they had a few things wrong. And then they seemed to be some sort of switch. And the surgeons wanted, of course, the money. <laughs> they, they started um, also, uh, they actually petitioned parliament as early as the 14, mid 1400s to get women banned from medicine, but they began to attack her. And, and also they attacked herbalists and King Henry stopped, put a stop to that in England, but this trend continued. So they began lopping in uh, medical astrology, by the way, was always a legal form of astrology. Nothing was considered wrong with it. Uh, it was considered not, it wasn't, the religions did not have, have a negative opinion of this at all. So they just started to attack it and then started to, they went into the full science thing and then went on this kind of frenzied besmirchment and burying their own system entirely, sort of like uh, Mao Tzu Tung tried to do in China, you know, uh, tried to bury all old traditions. It all got buried and in came the new science, which wasn't at all animistic, did not have any of this old folklore, because the, it, there was a time when the old practices and the folk traditions and knowledge of fairies and knowledge of these things was working hand in hand with science. It was probably a brief 50 or 100 year period in the 1600s in England before it just, it was like a wrestling match and then they just buried the astrology and then started a, a program of always making fun of it and disparaging it, which we have seen to this day. And when I was growing up, uh, astrology was considered a highly disreputable career. You couldn't really tell people you were doing it. And you folks probably don't realize it was illegal, illegal to practice in the United States, depending on your state. But I believe in California to 1987 or 1988, or even 89, illegal. I, I practiced while illegal for years. People were dragged off to prison. 
under the vagrancy laws. So they started attacking astrologers. Now this will interest you. Why did astrology take a psychological turn? Alan Leo around the 1910 or so was the big uh, astrologer in England. And he gets, a, and he's super famous. There's like one astrologer influencing the world at the time, it was Alan Leo. There weren't millions of them like today. And he wrote many, many books. He was very spiritually oriented. His books are great. Um, and he gets arrested twice <laughs> under the vagrancy laws. But he realized this was exactly when Jung and Freud were coming along with their seminal works between 1900 and 1920. And he realized that if astrology was couched as psychological counseling, it would be legal. And he encouraged all his followers to do this. And it caught on. It's easy. You can fake it. And it doesn't need a lot of training. And it took off and it took over. And medical astrology never died. And practical uses never died. But they went underground. And physicians were secretly practicing them and secretly studying it. And we have our great, great maverick physicians, uh, William Davidson, Dr. William Davidson and Dr. H.L. Uh, Cornell, who wrote the Encyclopedia of Medical Astrology. And it's a real medical encyclopedia. And they did this despite all of the tomatoes being thrown at them, no doubt. And there was also Jansky, who worked in obstetric wards. There was uh, Dr. Millard, who wrote case notes of a medical astrologer and so forth. Um, but these people, uh, there was a clinic where I live where the head physician secretly studied medical astrology, but he couldn't tell anybody, he'd lose your license. You'd be so criticized for being an idiot and all this. Um, you couldn't go on, there was a law on the books. You couldn't speak on the radio or TV without them somehow making a fool of you. They had to do it. And so I stopped speaking. Even recently, they had the World um, Financial Astrologers Conference. Now, financial astrology is a very significant study. It takes a lot of training. And so the news reporter is standing in front of a great big neon palmistry sign that says, you know, Madame Zolar or something. And they're saying, Oh, here in downtown Portland, we are having our financial astrologers meeting. Financial astrology has nothing to do with Madame Zolar's palmistry in neon signs. Now, palmistry is also a sacred, very wonderful art. But people, you know, it's the way it was plated was trying was trying to make astrology look like, you know, a woo woo silly kind of phenomenon. And they always do this. If you go to the um, library. And here we have two giant books on, we used to, on vocational choices for people and in the vocational department. You look up astrologer, both of them have it listed under entertainer. Now they would never think of doing that to an herbalist or a psychologist. Or an astro a good astrologer can take 10, 20 years constant training. In India, there's an eight-year course at the university, followed by a four-year apprenticeship. And I've practiced many, many, many decades. I won't even say how many. And um, every decade, you learn more. And you know, you're you're seasoned at about ten years of constant chart reading, not reading one every month, but constant work and reading and study. 
20 years, you are really good. You're maybe at 30 years, you're now a master. So it's not just a lightweight thing. And to be listed under entertainer is just so insulting. It's ridiculous. But okay. this, is, this is just to answer your question. This is what's happened. And it is coming back. People are really getting interested in this again. Yeah, thanks to you and your work too, and a large part of that, all of your books and your free offerings and classes and everything. Yeah, I mean, oh. and it seems like a similar thing did happen with with herbalism too, though not, um, I mean, like still until the 19th, even through the early 20th century, herbalism was still part of many doctors, uh, you know, training, but more recent, you know, in the, in the forties, that also was made illegal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> These very uh, courageous people who everybody thought were crazy, no doubt, you know, like Rosemary Gladstar and Susan Weed and Matthew Wood and, and Michael Moore. And I mean, there's many, many uh, Dorothy Hall in Australia, many great people carried this tradition and kept it alive, usually living in little shacks, making almost no money. Mm -hmm. Same with astrologers, mm -hmm. you know, even own a car till I was in my mid forties. Mm -hmm. We just did our, we were here to do our work. And, uh, but boy, um, you know, I couldn't, I, for years, and I've talked to some herbalists too, you know, you could not tell people at parties what you did. It mm -hmm. was really, you make a living at this? Or how do you, people, you're, you're serious. You know, they act, or they'd act like you murdered their grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> oh no about astrology in their heads and i would always be explaining folks there's not one single sentence in the entire bible that decries astrology not one yeah. i study religions and i always think every good astrologer should because you're going to be working with people of all religions mm -hmm. you need to understand them so i feel every good astrologer needs to study world religions and they need to study anthropology and culture and a little astronomy and a little psychology and a little as much as they can about spiritual paradigms and a little about health so that you can help your clients, you know, who come in and um, then, um, finish with that if you wanted to, but yeah, I think, I think, yeah, you can ask something else. I, okay. I'm, I'm skipping around. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love that. Um, but my question came, the question I had that come up, came up was as an herbalist who is maybe getting into astrology, do you think that it's better to work with another astrologer to have like maybe team up um, with a client and have an astrologer look at a chart? Or do you think that herbalists can learn this, these skills and should learn these skills? I feel an herbalist, the reason why I wrote the little book medical astrology for health practitioners. Every herbalist should know some basics about the signs because, you know, you're, you do have sign types and you see them all the time because mm -hmm. they will have a type of vital force. Um, every herbalist can know, can learn to look at a chart enough to see where a person's Saturn is. Saturn will always tell you where the seat of chronicity is due to toxins, due to uh, holding due to something being too tight, not enough circulation or oxygen getting in, and you warm up that area. That alone uh, is a fantastic key. Uh, you can always see where things will get too hot in the body, Mars. 
So you can look at anybody's chart, just very, without even looking at what signs that Saturn squares are opposed. So say you have Saturn in the sign of the feet. And the practitioner goes, oh, what are the feet? Oh, the feet are the lymphatic system, the matrix, the fluidic matrix, and the feet, the feet, feet. Pisces, Saturn's in Pisces. So okay, we need to keep the feet warm. We need to see if there's enough oxygen and circulation to the feet. Are they having any trouble or pain in the feet? And are the lymphatics sluggish? I have seen so many diseases related to people with Saturn in water signs because they rule the lymphatics, the excretions. And if they're, if they're chilly or obstructed or not flowing freely over time, a situation where you can get you know, very bad situation. Yeah. So, you know, it's very easy to find out Saturn will be in one of 12 signs. You just need to learn your symbols for the signs and the symbol for Saturn. And where's Saturn in that person's birth chart? And that's where you warm up. You, you make sure it's nothing's wrong in there. Saturn also gives strength, you know, builds bone, builds bone, but you don't want it building bone in your stomach, you know? <laughs> no. <laughs> so funny. Saturn pulls in like this. And they just recently discovered that the Saturn has so much pressure on it. It's, it's a uh, core is so, has so much pressure. It has something like a hundred more times pressure on the surface of Saturn than we have at the bottom of the earth. And that's what Saturn does. It pulls everything in like a bowling ball. It accretes atoms and it's very cold. So nothing, life doesn't live where things get too cold. So it builds strength and bone, but it's also the great malefic. So if you learn nothing else, learn that. And that little book is full of these little gems just for the person who knows almost nothing to get started. Everybody can use this and they always work. They almost always are helpful. And the nodes come next. And if you want to go up the line, you get more advanced, more advanced, more advanced. And then find out where transit Saturn is right now, influencing everybody in a general way. Or permanently all babies being born now. It's in Aquarius. I guess the other important part of that is the zodiacal man. Right. Yeah. And that's that's something that I don't think we talked about yet, but that's like kind of the how the most important part so we have yeah zodiacal man uh that's my my drawings i wanted to show a side view which has never been done before yeah i love that that's really cool the zodiacal man so uh did you want me to talk about what it is yeah definitely yeah, yeah. So, zodiacal man is the ancients made a great discovery so they had empirical discoveries that worked for them for thousands of years and up to you know three thousand years now so they discovered that the human body is broken into 12 bands going horizontally through the body. And each one of these responds to a different zodiac sign and reflects the circle divided into a straight line of the human body. And there's some mixing at the cusps. And that means, now, medical astrology is far more complex than that. But it means that if you're, you have, you're having problems with the head currently or always, you look to Aries, the zone number one, which goes from about um, your top of your nose through your, some people think it starts at the cheekbone. Some people think at the 
the top of the jaw, the upper jaw goes up through the head. Aries also influences the entire head quite a bit. And you, you look there in the chart, or you look at what's afflicting the sign of Aries, or you look at the first house, which is a reflection of the 12 signs also. We have our 12 houses. There's space and there's time. And so, you know, you will get, um, and there's ways to learn to see if there's, uh, uh, you're suspicious of a real problem there. And you can see what's going on there. Say a person has a headache. And so you want to look at their chart and you find that they're born with Mars and Aries. That would mean heat, heat or inflammation in somewhere in the Aries region. And Aries is broken into three parts and then 30 parts. You can really go hunting. Or if it's Saturn is there, ooh, we have a constriction or an obstruction, something too tight, something too cold, of something maybe of Saturn and Taurus, and you're having headaches. Then you suspect there's an obstruction in the neck or the lower brain. And you ask them questions. Are they having pressure in their ears? What's going on with their neck? Their trapezes. It, it gives you tremendous cues. And I could just go on and on telling you amazing stories of how this has worked to uh, cure people, heal people. Uh, there's all kinds of documented cases. I want to hear a story. Do you, have, do you have an example that comes to mind first? Yeah, let's see. Uh, I do. Um, this kind of thing happens a lot. Uh, I, this is a famous case that many people have heard me relate, but it's my favorite case, and I've written it in some of the books. This one always springs right to mind. I had a woman come, and she was basically dying. Um, she had been to five different doctors, and and by the way, I I always have people sign a waiver that discusses that I am giving a hypothetical using their chart hypothetically as a lesson in medical astrology and that they must, they must take the advice of their doctor unless doctors are sending clients. And they do, I, I've worked for doctors for an opinion on weird cases, but we have to be very, very careful not to play doctor if we're not doctors. So when she came and she was dying and the doctors, nobody could help her. Nobody could figure out what it was. Losing weight, fatigue, felt sick all the time. And she had, <clears throat> I believe it was, I, I always forget which node it was. I think it was the North Node in Aquarius rising, natally. And Aquarius rules the air and it rules the circulation. It's also famous for poisonings, the sign of Aquarius. And I noticed that transit Neptune had been sitting on it for some time, right on her ascent. Neptune rules gases and poisons, but gas, poison, coming in because i believe it was north node south node would have done it too because south node is dangerous but it was on one of the nodes it was entering 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 poison so i said i believe you're being poisoned through the air and she she told me later that she thought that i was a real nutcase and she left and she called me about three months later to say that i was the only one who got her some workmen came in the house and discovered she had a carbon monoxide leak only reason she wasn't dead was because she had kept her window cracked when she was sleeping. Wow. So two more times after that, and I learned my lesson, I had people who were having troubles with uh, that 
that were co coinciding with Neptune node. And it turned out both in, in air sign, both of them were also having poisoning through the air. <laughs> and it was, turned out to be true. So this just happens all the time. Um, or a referred pain, somebody will come in. Uh, oh, I had a good one lately. Someone came in with, um, you know, tremendous pains in the hip. And, you know, sciatica, sciatica, sciatica. And I'm thinking, well, it looks like, or was it the knee? It was, it was one of them. And it looked like it was the other. It was being caused by the position of the other. Like the pain in the hip was being caused by the, the mispositioned knee. And, you know, he'd been all around everybody. And it turned out to be true. It was caused by a, a pressure on that other bone. Because the problem wasn't shown in the hip. It was shown in the knee. And Or one time it was the feet. A person had... Um, this was a real interesting case. A person had uh, uh, endless intense pain in their feet for many years. The doctors could not figure it out. So um, the chart showed that all the emphasis was in Aquarius, not Pisces. Zone 11, I call it, the ankles. goes all the way back to ancient Greek. Aquarius rolls the ankles in the lower leg. Something's going on. And I didn't know you could have such a thing as ankle stenosis, but that's what it looked like to me. And I said, I think he has ankle stenosis. Go and tell him to have this checked out. So I get a call. Ding, ding. Uh, the doctor said, you're correct. They did some tests. He had ankle stenosis, which is I didn't know you could have, but the bones were pressing on nerves and they cured it. And he was relieved of, you know, 10 years of insane foot pain that he could barely walk Wow. And if you'd like to listen to part two of this episode where we get into how to tell if you're getting hexed or somebody's possessed and vital force and fertility, all that fun stuff, we get into a lot more than that, uh, then go over to patreon.com slash plantcoming and select the $9 or up uh, tier. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>